Do you know why you're here? I, I don't mean just like in this room at this moment today, like it's Mother's Day, it's church, it's Sunday, but I mean, do you know why you exist? Do you, do you know why you're breathing air every single day? Do you know what your purpose is here? Do any of you know today what you were born to do? It's a bunch of show stealers in here today, right? <laughs> to glorify God is what they said. You know, for some people, it, it takes a long time to figure out my purpose. Why am I here? Some people figure that out quickly, maybe. Tragically, some people may never figure that out. And, and here's the thing I think that we have to understand. Yes, glorify God, but, but the, the, the stuff inside of that, right? Kind of the, the finer points, the finer details of that. What, what is that all about? And sometimes we only come to know that slowly over time. And sometimes we only really come to know that through circumstances of life that aren't always easy. They're not always the circumstances that we would choose, but God often works through that to help us understand why we are here. Last week, I introduced you to this Old Testament character by the name of Joseph. And we talked about what a wreck his family life had been as we just walked through all of that. And when we get to Genesis chapter 37 today, we get to that place in the book of Genesis where Joseph is now emerging as the main character for, for the remainder of the book of Genesis. But in Genesis 37, here's the thing. He has no idea why he is here. He has no idea what he has been born to do. He doesn't have that figured out yet. He's just a 17-year-old kid. How many of you had it all figured out when you were 17? Just one. And he's a liar. I'm just kidding. Joseph doesn't have it figured out either. He doesn't know why he was born. He doesn't know why he exists. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And there's no college for him to go to. There's no military for him to join. He probably has never really thought about that question a whole lot. The obvious answer for him would have been, well, it's just to do what my brothers do, to do what our dad does. He's a shepherd. And what his dad did, he was a shepherd. And so what I do is I get up every day and I go to work and I'm going to do that until I have a son and he's going to do that. And that's just what we do. But little does Joseph know that God has something incredible in store for him. He could not have wrapped his mind around it at 17. He never could have imagined it. He never could have fathomed that. He has no idea what events are about to unfold in his life. And neither do you. You may think that you have this day planned out, but you don't. There's a greater plan that's working, that's transcendent above you and I today, and none of us really know what's going to happen in the remainder of our time. You don't know the events that are about to unfold in your life, and neither do I, but I do know this. God is in control. 
and he has a purpose and he has a plan and he has a dream and he has a will and he is working all of that and unfolding all of that out. The question has been asked many times, Pastor, how can I know God's will for my life? How, how do I discover God's will for my life? And, and that presupposes that I can discover his will. And I'm not sure that that's how it works. I'm not sure that we discover God's will for us as much as God's will discovers it for us. He brings us into it. Someone once said that God's will is less like a sunburst and more like a sunrise. The will of God just slowly emerges and rises up over the horizon. And often God's will and his dream for your life is revealed that way, slowly, over time, and through sets of circumstances that you probably wouldn't have chosen for yourself. But God works in that. He works through that. And that's what we find in Joseph's story today in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. God's will is hidden in Genesis chapter 37, but it won't remain hidden. It will eventually emerge, but it will be slow. It will be over time. And it will be through a lot of circumstances in Joseph's life that are just awful. He wouldn't have chosen any of those circumstances, but God's working in this. And you need to know this, God's will for your life, whatever the details, the finer points of that may be, it all has one goal to point to Jesus Christ, to bring glory to God. Paul says, whatever your hand finds to do, whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. That's the will of God. That's the desire of God. Listen, God's not gonna put a gate in front of you to jump or a path for you to follow that's not ultimately gonna bring glory to him. If it's all gonna be about your story and your glory and pointing people to you, that's not the gate that God's put in front of you. That's not the path that God's put in front of you for you to travel. If you're pursuing anything other than what will make much of Jesus, then you're not pursuing God's dream for your life, you're pursuing your dream for your life. And your dream for your life will turn out to be a nightmare. You only wanna pursue God's dream for your life. God's dream for Joseph is the same dream that he has for you, by the way. That Joseph's life, that Joel's life, that your life, that all of our lives would make much of Jesus. Not much of self, not much of anything in creation, but only of our creator. And by the way, that's the only way to live a life that's filled with joy. When your life is all about you and your story and your glory or about somebody else and all of God's creation, you're going to miss out on a life of joy. It's only when our life is spent for the glory of our creator, for God, that we experience that true joy in our life. So as we look at Joseph's story today, here's what I want you to see. There's a greater story inside Joseph's story. And I want you to know that about your life today because I'm afraid that some of you are so caught up in the details of your life today, the busyness, the schedule, the minutia of it all, that you may be forgetting as you sit here today, God is writing a greater story within your story. And I want you to see that and you'll see it through the life of Joseph 
today. So let's walk through chapter 37 and see if you see the story within the story. The first thing that you see in verse three of chapter 37 is this. There's a father and he loves his son. The son is loved by his father. Look at verse three. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now listen, we could, we could stop there today and we could make this a, a message about family dynamics. We could make this a message about how disastrous it is when parents show favoritism to their children. And certainly that's a valid point. But the point of verse three is not to show us that. The point of verse three is to show us that the father in the story here wants the world to see that this son is set apart. The father wants the world to see that this son is different from all the rest. Through the giving of this coat to Joseph, here's what Jacob is saying to the world about Joseph. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's different. And my love for him is special and unique. There's a story, a greater story within the story. So you see, the son is loved by his father, but number two, the son is rejected by his people. He's rejected by his people. Look at verse four. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. These men, these brothers of Joseph, they could not stomach the idea that somebody was exalted above them, that somebody had a higher standing than they have. And aren't we all that way? There is this sinful bent in all of us that we want the glory. We want the pat on the back. We want the attention. We want the affirmation. We want the validation. We want the robe. And if we don't get it, if we don't get what we want, if we don't get what we think we're entitled to, then our hearts and our minds can go to really dark places really fast. That's sin in us. That's pride in us. We don't want to bow our knee to another. Joseph isn't the only beloved son to experience rejection. Jesus says this in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Are you, are you catching on here? There's a story within Joseph's story just like there's a story within your story. And the point of his story is the same point of the story within your story. Just wanna make sure you're keeping up. The son is loved by his father. He's rejected by his people. Number three, the son is destined to reign. He's destined to reign. Verse five says, one night, Joseph had a dream. Now I wanna pause right there and I just feel like I need to make something really clear. When I say things like, God has a dream for your life. I am not suggesting to you by no means that you should receive every dream that you have at night while you sleep as a message from God. I'm not saying that. In fact, I'll tell you this. I'm just one of these people. I don't, I don't dream a lot at night. Anybody, any non-dreamers in the room here? 
Who's the crazy dreamers at night? Like, oh yeah, there you are. Bunch of crazy dreamers here. Well, I'm not you. I kind of wish I was. My sleep is kind of boring. And apparently my dreams are because sometimes if I do have a dream, I just don't tend to remember it the next day. Now, I'm not saying always completely ignore the dreams that you may have while you're asleep, but I am telling you there's kind of this crazy train running through the world today that says, hey, God's talking to you through your dreams. Can we just acknowledge what a disastrous world, what a disastrous church we would be a part of if all of us were living our lives according to the crazy dreams we were having at night? Huh? Right? That's not the way that we want to live our lives, right? I mean, it could be you shouldn't have had that fourth burrito last night at 11 o'clock, right? Or what do you do when you're dreaming something that's kind of rooted in thoughts or something internally inside of you that's not rooted in the truth about God and who God is? I mean, this would be a messed up world we're living in if we just said, hey, God's speaking clearly through this dream to me, and so this is what I'm going to be about. And you say, well, pastor, why in the Old Testament is God speaking to Joseph through a dream? That's real simple, because Joseph didn't have a Bible, The Bible hadn't been written yet. And so that's how God's revealing himself to people in his word in the Old Testament. We have Bibles. Our ultimate final authority, our guiding truth is God's word, not our dreams. Let me pick up the story, verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Any dream interpreters got that one figured out? His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. I'm no dream interpreter, but I get this. This is Joseph telling his brothers that one day they're going to bow before him. Now, not only do I understand that's the point of this dream, but they understood, his brothers, they understood that Joseph was telling them. He was telling them, God's telling me. I don't get it, but God's telling me one day you guys are going to bow before me. And that's hard to believe. Kind of like I told you a couple of weeks ago that when Pilate looked at Jesus, he said, you, you're the king of the Jews. People to bow before you, I find that a little bit hard to believe. See, there's a story within the story. Are you seeing this? The son is loved by his father. He's rejected by his people. He's destined to reign. But before he reigns, the father sends the son on a mission. Look at verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pastoring the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. 
So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. What's happening here? The son is coming from the father and he's coming as a servant. He's, he's serving the father here. And when he arrives, this is what happens. They hate the son. They hate the son. Look at verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Listen, you need to know that his brothers, they're not just resentful of the dream. They're resentful of the God who gave the dream. They know that this is God revealing his plans to Joseph but they are actually prideful enough to think to themselves, we can bring an end to this. We can stop God. We can stop the plan of God. Their pride has blinded them. Their pride has caused them to resist this idea of bowing down to another, certainly not to Joseph. Their hatred for Joseph is actually rooted in their hatred for God. They wanna be their own God. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 23, anyone who hates me also hates my father. So not only do they hate the son, but they also conspire against the son. Look at verse 20. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. That's kind of like a whale. And we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Uh, let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Watch. You see how premeditated all this is? They're conspiring together. This is premeditated on earth, but it's predetermined already in God's mind in heaven. Behind all of this, God is working out his plan, his will. Now, look, in Genesis 37, you don't even see God's name. God's not even mentioned in the entire chapter, but he's there, fully present. He's there. It didn't feel like it to Joseph, but God was there working out his plan according to his will. It's not a sunburst, it's a sunrise. And some of you may be wondering, where's God in my story? Where's God in my life? He's there, he's there. He's working out his plan according to his will. And it's not a sunburst, it's more like a sunrise. So they hate the sun, they conspire against the sun, and then they abuse the sun. Verse 23, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing and then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. You know, you can only go three days without water. Three days in that tomb and Joseph's gonna be dead. Just the opposite of Jesus. He was dead when they put him in the tomb. And three days later, he was fully alive. Not because somebody gave him water, but because he is the living water. And he can't be stopped. So they hate the son. They conspire against the son. They abuse the son. And then they betrayed the son. 
story within the story, right? Verse 25, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels. Think about that. They're just, they're having their lunch while their brother is in the bottom of the well fighting for his life. And they're eating their tuna salad. Heartless. So they're sitting down to eat and they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. This was like Amazon of their day. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? Let's get something out of this. We'd have to cover up the crime if we kill him. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, listen to the compassion. He's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites who were Midianite traders came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt betrayed for some pieces of silver. Are you beginning to see how Joseph's story isn't simply about Joseph? Are you beginning to see how your story isn't simply about you? It's about more than Joseph. It's about more than you. It's about more than me. It's intended to point beyond Joseph to a greater story. It's intended to point beyond Joel to a greater story. It's intended to point beyond you to a greater story within the story. One day you will see, if you don't already, that your story, your life is more than you. It's more than just simply about you. It's intended to point people to Jesus. That's why you were born. That's why you're here. That's why you're breathing this air. That's God's will for your life, that you would make much of Jesus, that your story, your life would be about Jesus. That's the why, the how, the details, the finer points of that, that's still unfolding. That'll come in time like a sunrise, not a sunburst. So they've hated, they've conspired, they've abused, they've betrayed the son, and now they think they've seen the last of him. We're never going to have to see him again. That reminds me of another story. When these same things happened to Jesus and they thought, that's it. We're done with him. We'll never have to see him again. Verse 29, sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. And when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, the boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. They think that they've seen the last of Joseph. They think 
We're never going to have to bow down to him. They could not be more wrong. The people who thought that about Jesus, we've seen the last of him. We're never going to have to bow down to him. They could not have been more wrong. And if you're sitting here today and you think that you're going to get a pass around seeing Jesus face to face one day, you're wrong. And you're wrong about the most important thing you could ever be wrong about. I don't want to ruin how this story of Joseph is going to end. We're going to get there in a few weeks, but I'll tell you this, Joseph didn't get thrown in a pit by mistake. He didn't get sold as a slave by mistake. He doesn't end up in Egypt by mistake. God is working. This sunrise is slowly coming up, slowly over time and through a set of circumstances that nobody would have chosen for themselves. God's working his plan through the lives of sinful men to accomplish his purposes and his plans to fulfill his promises. Behind all of this madness, behind the favoritism of a father, the hatred of the brother stands the God of the universe working out his will, his plan to a T. But not a sunburst. It's a sunrise. A greater story is being written inside Joseph's story. A greater story is being written inside your story. And maybe the pen's not moving as fast as you wish it would move, but it's moving. And God's writing his story. And you know what this means about Joseph? Joseph's not writing this story. And that means Joseph's not the hero of this story. I've heard a lot of preachers preach this and to try to inspire the congregation, they make Joseph out to be the hero. They will say things like, look at Joseph, look at how he persevered. Look at how he stuck with it. He never gave up on the dream. He kept trucking through and fighting through and he had this tenacity. So go be a Joseph. That's not the message here. That's ridiculous is what that is. Joseph isn't writing his story. This isn't the story of Joseph's dream for his life. This is the story of God's dream for Joseph's life. God's writing the story. God's the hero of this story. You want God's dream for your life, not yours. You want God's purposes and plans to be accomplished in your life, not your own. God is the only one who knows the plan. God is the only one who's unstoppable, who can and will accomplish his plan. Therefore, God is the only one who is worthy to get all the praise and all the glory from it all. Not me, not you, not Joseph, God and God alone. I think today's the perfect day to say, God, I don't want my story to be about me. I believe that you're writing a greater story within my story. And God, I'm glad to hear that because I don't want my life to be wasted in being about me. I don't want it to be about what I want to do, what I want to accomplish. But God, I want you to write a greater story within the story of my life. I don't want to waste my life trying to be the hero of my story. And I'm trusting you today, God. 
to write your story in my life the way you want to, the way you know is best. Today, God, I bow before you and I acknowledge that your story's best and that's what I want. And today, God, I give you everything I am and all that I have. Today, God, I give you the pen and I'm asking you, do it your way. God, have your way. God, write your story. I only want to jump the gate that you put in front of me. I only want to walk the path that you lead me to walk. I only want to pursue the dream that you put in my heart, God. And so today, I'm giving all of that, God, over to you to control all of me, all of my life. Would you bow with me? Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, see, you got to decide today when you walk out of here, who's holding the pen? Who's writing the story? Is it going to be you? Are you trying to write the story in such a way that it makes you look good? That you become the hero when it's all said and done? Or today, would you say, God, it's not about me. I want it to be all about you. There might be 40 chapters left to be written. We might be on the last sentence of the last chapter in my life. But God, with whatever ink remains to be put on the paper, I want it to be your hand that puts it on the paper, not mine. And so I give you today all of me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would would you just consider, if that's your heart before the Lord today, put the back of your hands on the top of your knees, palms up and open, and just say, God, take the pen. Take it from me. Take my life. Write my story to bring you glory in Jesus' name.